Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to this week's edition of The Alignment Show. Got an exciting guest here today. She has so much to tell us about her work. I have known Val Burgess for, gosh, I, I lose track of time, only about a year or two. I met Val through the Speaker Speak Live group that I mention on here from time to time. But I feel like I've known her for a while. She has been doing work that is close to my heart. Uh, as I've told Val about, my dad was a prisoner of war in World War II, a survivor of what he called the 80-day march. I think uh, historians know it by another name. And Val has been talking with folks like this for 30 years, preserving their stories. So although on this show we talk with people who have brought their lives into alignment with their values, a lot of them fairly recently because of the pandemic. Uh, this happened quite a while ago for Val. And so let's, uh, I, I will, I've got a pro professional introduction here, but I just want to get Val on here and let's learn a little more about how she got to where she is now. Let's give a welcome to Val Burgess. Val, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate the time with you. So give me just a little bit of background. As I said, you sent me the introduction, but I'd, I'd rather just hear it from you at this point. Uh, what is it that you do? How do you serve your audiences these days? How would you describe that? I have been researching World War II prisoners of war and, and veterans, not just POWs, but specifically, I have learned so many life lessons from these people and it all started when my uncle wanted to go back to the prison camp. He said, he kept talking about it at my grandmother's wake. And I finally got tired of hearing him. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I need to take a large group back. And to do that, I need someone to do the marketing materials. Well, I think I felt a little bit set up and I thought, well, I'll do that for you. I'll volunteer. And he says, well, you have a free trip to Europe. And you know, Don, I will never turn down a free trip to Europe. But then we sent out 3,000 letters and these people were writing me and then they would call me and they would tell me that almost everyone closed with part of their story. And I said to my uncle, has anyone ever recorded the, these people's stories? And he said, no, I don't think so. So first I went and interviewed the first American uh, fighter pilot that was shot down over Europe. And then I, I interviewed a man who was on the same march. They call it the Black March. And so, so the same march as you, the 82-day, uh, 400 to 600-mile march. Wow. And, and I just continued to do that. I still was a graphic designer, a mother, and a wife. But I had to – I just couldn't stop. Then there were times when my husband and I said, you got to stop. And I said, okay. And then something happened and he'd look at me and he goes, you got to go, don't you? And I go, yeah, I do. So a lot of my retirement is invested in this. But you know what? It was worth every penny of it for me. Well, and I can imagine. I, I think 
Do I remember correctly? You really didn't know your uncle's story. I mean, you knew, but you didn't know details. Uh, I didn't even know he was a POW. Wow. Okay. You knew he'd been in the war, but no, didn't know that. Okay. No, okay. he lived in Oregon and we only saw them. Maybe I, I saw him probably three or four times in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I was in my thirties when this occurred. And so thirties, no, maybe I was in my forties. I don't know. Anyway, some time ago. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was shocked. And then I didn't know it was the great escape prison camp of World War II fame. And when mm -hmm. I found out that, it was like, well, why didn't you tell me? He says, well, I thought you knew Stalag Blue 3 was the great escape camp. I was like, well, no, I didn't. But I mean, they made a movie about it and all that kind of, But, you know, what I remember from, from being around dad is uh, they just, they didn't talk a lot about it. And, and, Dad was a, a member of a group called American XPOWs. What I saw was when I went with him to their dinners, their get-togethers. Then they would talk, and I realized they didn't talk much about it. Some of them because they didn't want to think much about it, but some of them because people just wouldn't understand. So is helping people understand? I mean, it's not just telling the stories. It's helping people to understand that's a part of your work. I was going down to the Air Force Academy to interview this POW who was the first American fighter pilot shot down. And the man who arranged that for me said to me, you know that story. If you go in and say, so tell me your story, it's over. Because mm -hmm. you have to research, you have to know about them. And sometimes you may not feel totally prepared, but all of a sudden I always wear headphones and I talk a lot. So people I'm sure are surprised that I can shut up and listen. But when I have those headphones on, I'm listening to those words. And sometimes they'll say something that's so profound. You go, whoa, I got it. And you're, and you're writing down, you're, you're trying to listen and, and do all of that. So you can get back to that one comment that they made because it's important. And it's just, um, you walk away and, and, and I can tell you, I met them at the right time. They were in their seventies. We were in Europe for 17 days. There were 125 POWs and 200 members of their families. And, and again, just to set the historical context for this, this was in the mid nineties. So yes. these people were in their seventies in the mid nineties. Right. And it was the 50th anniversary of their liberation. So 125 POWs, 200 member, there's members of their families. And one man was a producer from Hollywood. His father was a POW. So he brought a full film crew. And every night he and I would get together and say, well, what questions did you ask today? What questions did you ask today? And we would look for questions that would allow us to really open up their war and and we would be in a bus like for instance my first situation we were in berlin and we were with a tour guide and we were looking at these lovely lampposts and a man leaned over to me and he said you should have seen the american pilots hanging by piano wire you know what he's telling me quietly and it just was like i was just shocked into what i imagined he saw and all along that trip these people would share something so shocking that you really sort of understood their war more and you wanted to learn more. And, and but the thing is, they were so resilient and their their adversity was so great. I mean, no one really understands the air war because the battlefields, you know, 20 some thousand feet in the air and they bail out. Sure, they get to the ground, but that's not even the half of that story. You know, it's 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 brutal. And no. then there's then there's the Pacific and that brutality. And uh, I have I have three oral histories from Bataan death marchers. And 
incredible, just incredible. One man was able to forgive his captives and never ever had any post-traumatic stress disorder, no night terrors, nothing. He was free of that. And they actually put him in a study in the 1950s to understand how he could so unconditionally forgive his captives. Mm, mm. And that made such a difference to him and the rest of his life. I, I could see where, I mean, that's something to teach uh, all of us. It's not just about, how would we put it? it? It almost sounds crass to put it this way, but it's not just about their story and, and preserving it. Although that's important. Yes. You know, humans have always told stories to make sense of their experience. And so these lessons um, here we are, 2023, oh. my dad passed away in 2002. There's not many of these folks left. How many, how many interviews have you done over the years? I have about 175, 180 oral history. So I say around 200. And sometimes I go, oh, there's that one. I forgot. I've got 400 tapes and lots and lots of stories. But there was one thing I wanted to tell you. I, I want to tell you what he told me. This man, I was at his home. And as he's telling his story, his face got younger and younger and younger looking. And, and when he walked in, he used his cane and he was really kind of bent over and he jumps out of his chair and runs to get some memorabilia to share with me. But he said to me, I can heal anyone. All they have to do is first, he, he believed in Jesus or God or the higher power. And then you have to become comfortable with your story. Not all the gory details, but be comfortable with your story so you can tell it and you're comfortable with it and then forgive unconditionally, not for them, but for you. And, and another person told me, you know, forgiveness is like dropping a teacup of tea on the floor. It's done. And I thought those are really good analogies. And what he taught me is when I get in a pickle and I need to forgive, then I think about him a lot. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I offer that to, to all of our audience today. And, well, and you mentioned audience because, uh, you know, we've got folks uh, at the moment. We don't have anybody on live with us, but we do get a lot of folks who watch the replays uh, offering to this audience. But you're speaking to live audiences. You're speaking to virtual audiences. You've got a, a website. Um, you've got, as you say, if you were to put it all in one book, it'd be thousands of pages. So you have several books that you're working on or, or mm -hmm. have worked on. Uh, YouTube channel coming up. How, how are these stories affecting today's audiences? Does that make sense? It does. I was in um, 51 classrooms for three months a few years ago. And I spoke to students there. Most of them were in high school. Some of them went from grade school all the way through high school. It was about 3,000 kids. And I found that the young women would come up to me and say, I never wanted to know about World War II. I hate all those dates and the missions and the battles. I don't care about them. But when you give a personal story, it's like you enter a room where your heart touches their heart, where you understand just the difficulties that they really experience. And so that was really valuable to me. I work, I've worked with incarcerated kids who have make decisions they're going to join the military because they don't have a family. Their family brought them to the place where they are incarcerated because of the things they did, they experienced. And then they make decisions to be in the military. And I said, well, you know what, what could happen to you? And they say, I know, but I will have a family. I will be part of a group. And so it's, it's really interesting how their 
stories can profoundly impact the youth all the way up to, I have gentlemen who, when are you going to talk again? <laughs> you know, they want to hear another story. And so I, I think it's really, and, and women don't think they're interested in it, but you know, this war thing's been going on forever. Oh yeah. And we have soldiers coming home today. And when I see them in the airport, I want to say thank you for your service. And it seems so little. We have no idea what kind of hell they've gone through. They can't tell us because they're they're ordered to you know secrecy. And and yet they're all over the globe. They're in what 70, 80 countries right now. And it, it just um for some reason, I think we can learn from them and make us our best selves and possibly help them be their best selves and successful and and able to cope sometimes with the things they had to do or experienced and that's important indeed indeed i just just to be able to understand uh in fact it strikes me uh, you know we were talking a little while ago about how they tend not to talk about it partly as you say some of them it's it's recent enough they can't talk about it, secrecy, that sort of thing. Um, I know um, somebody that I know as as a writer, John David Mann, co-author of um, the Go-Giver series. He's also done several books with Brandon Webb, who was a, uh, a sniper. Uh, mm -hmm. You know who I'm talking about. I there. do, yes. And, and uh, uh, John told me that uh, one of the difficulties was they wanted to give the experience to help people reading about it, uh, to, to, to understand the experience. But there was so much that Brandon couldn't talk about, you know. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's just the, I'm not going to talk about this because to you, it's just, a, I don't know, an adventure story. To me, it's my life. And just to be able to, to get people to understand, because I, I hate to admit it, but when I was a kid, I asked those stupid questions of my dad. Did you ever shoot anybody? You know, those kind of things. And I don't even remember what he said. I just remember he dodged the question. So all of this is to set up what I want to ask you right now, Val, which is how is it that these people came to trust you to be able to tell their story? You know, I worked hard to know their story before I started. And I got to know them as people while we were on the bus. And I would sit with different people because I was by myself. Well, I wasn't by myself. There were, you know, 60 of us in a bus. Right. Yeah. I worked diligently to get to know them. And I, I said, you know, I understand you don't want to tell your story, but your story is our story. And if you don't tell all of us what your story is, you will be lost to history. This part of what happened will go away. And that really did resonate with many. And besides, they were in their 70s. And many of them saw the end of their life approaching rather than the past part of their life that they had lived. And so I think I hit them at the perfect time to allow them to open up. And I have stories that I can never tell other people. I mean, just in confidence. Well, I don't even know if in confidence, but I believe that they are, they're my heart stories that I can, I don't know. I just don't want to share them because I cried with them. Um, it was just, I mean, it almost makes me cry. Some, I start thinking about some of those sure. and, I, and, sure. and, and, and we shared that we cried, we laughed, we, you know, all of the emotions that they felt. And that's what's so rich about these oral histories is that you hear their voices, you hear the crackle, the crack in their voice, you hear um, 
oh, their journey and how difficult it was. And yet, so many of them made it. Some of them gave up. And I don't know if they gave up, but they just physically were were wasted to a place where they couldn't couldn't return. It looks mm -hmm. like we've got a few um, we've got a oh. few posts here. Such an incredible dialogue this morning. Thanks. Well, and, you know, I was looking at the wrong part of my screen. According to one part of the screen, it says there's zero people on, and yet there's Peg. Thank you, Peg, for being here. Let's see here. Uh, let's share some of her comments. So incredible. Thanks for sharing your journey. Okay. And then Peg also said such incredible dialogue. Uh, but but wanted to be sure and get to this one. Know their story before the interview. Make the connection. Build a relationship. And one other thing, when I go in to interview someone, I start out with what was it like to grow up in your home? What were the values? What, what, how was the depression for you? How was high school? Did you finish school? And I work my way up to being shot down or, or whatever happened to them. And I don't, you can't just sit down and go, okay, tell me about that day because it's so impactful that you, you just can't enter that space unless you move through something else that makes them feel warm and and cared about and that you want to know that because truthfully the values they learned at home are sometimes like oh wow i wish i'd had that value at home or yes. you know just certain things that they would say were so incredibly profound and something I never thought about. And mm -hmm. then there were other people that would say things like bad jokes. And it was like, Oh, don't tell me that I have such respect. You don't do that. <laughs> One man invited me into a closet and it was like, don't do that to me. You know, just like, Stop. <laughs> oh, uh, well, and, and I guess, you know, they would surprise you. I'm thinking yeah. of, of a different sort of experience. One of my students who is a, a nurse uh, she was taking care of, a, I think he was a Vietnam veteran. So this was in fairly recent days, but you know, that means that he was in his seventies, uh, you know, and, and she had to do an interview for my class. So she interviewed him. And then at the end of the interview to thank her, he offered her some weed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes a lot of people to make the world go around. Indeed. And I, indeed. And you know, you, you just, <laughs> You look at some of these folks, gosh, how would I put this? Um, there was somebody, again, this was not a war situation, but I interviewed a, a lady that was in her early 80s, almost stereotypical, sweet little old lady, you know, kind of thing. Uh, found out she had been a showgirl in Las Vegas. She had performed with Frank Sinatra. You know, I mean, she was... You know, and, and you you can't tell by looking no. at people. And that's the thing that I forget. And we don't understand as young people. We don't look at older people because, you know, it's like, oh, you're old. You have nothing to offer. And yet when you open your heart to every generation, because I think my three-year-old granddaughter has a lot to say, you know, yeah. but when you allow them to say it, it, it's kind of shocking what they can tell you in a way that's really so wonderful for your life, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I guess that's why I never tired of this. When someone said to me, oh, I have nothing to say, I thought, oh, my God, here comes the candy store. 
because they really did have something to say. They just didn't think they did. And it's kind of like today I'm going to talk about imposter syndrome for Speaker Speak Live. And it's kind of like imposter serious, uh, imposter phenomenon, if you will, mm -hmm. because they they saw people die. And so those were the heroes. And yet they were a hero, the fact that they lived through it and survived. It's it's incredible. You know, some came down in the tail of a plane with no parachute. They landed on the ground and they survived. Some landed in haystacks and snowfields and survived. I mean, you can't even imagine there are so many different pieces to that puzzle. I also have a Holocaust survivor of one man who was one of 65 who escaped from Treblinka. And I just found research that says that in 97 days, three camps, Belsic, Sobibor, and Treblinka, they killed 1.4 million to 1.7 million people in 97 days. And the reason this research came out is this man looked at the manifest for the trains and could calculate approximately. Now we know about 250,000 of those people were actually shot and not killed in those camps. But those three camps were sinister. I mean, I think Auschwitz and Treblinka, uh, Auschwitz and Birkenau are horrific, but there's mm -hmm. something about Treblinka that is far worse than I've read. I've studied for six months on that camp. And anyway, but back to the POWs. So, but it, it is, it's so important to look at these stories and then look at your life and well, what can I do? And that's my goal with my books, because I'm going to do a whole series that will be like 35 to 40,000 uh, words. And I want them to be uh, readable enough that young people can read them. And the, you know, per someone who's in their nineties could read them because I think the information is what's the word. I mean, it's apropos for any audience because it's our history. <laughs> it's not like, you know, some of it may not be perfectly right, but it's their viewpoint on what happened to them. And that's as valuable as sometimes the history because, you know, it's always the higher command that gets the historical content placed in a book. And I, I have a story about a man who was killed in action. He came down, he bailed out too late. He was trying to get his men out of the plane. And his parents got a letter that said, your son, so-and-so, who had a 32-inch inseam, was buried in Remsburg Cemetery. And we were very sorry, you know, the whole thing from the adjutant general. And in fact, their son was six foot four and a half inches. It couldn't be him. And there lies, the family broke up, there lies all these complications from that war and the loss of this one person. And literally, he could be lost to history, as are millions mm -hmm. who have died in the war. And yet there's someone that remembers them and someone that wants them to be remembered. And I think even they want to be remembered. Yeah, yeah, just that whole idea that somebody could just disappear. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. I know, uh, again, going through some of the correspondence after my dad died, I found a bundle of letters that had gone back and forth between him and his parents during that time. And uh, getting a little choked up thinking about it. Um, he was reported as missing in action. And for, I think, a four-month period before the Red Cross managed to get a letter from dad 
to his parents. They have no idea. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about somebody who for decades didn't know what happened. Well, it wasn't for decades. It was, so it was in 1944, in August of 44, because he was on the Zeitz mission. It was in 1950, but his mother died in 1948 and never knew his body had been found and buried in a cemetery in Europe. Uh, you know, his, his younger brother never saw him again. His younger sister never saw him again. And, you, you know, his wife, he married a young woman right before he went overseas and she was devastated. She didn't remarry for 10 or 15 years. And I, I mean, I don't mean to, I'm kind of a, I, I guess a private eye because I look into their lives and I'm not really trying to pry, but I'm trying to look at the effects of what that war did to them because it's, it, it tells you about the pain they must have suffered mm -hmm. that we never, I mean, I haven't had to suffer that. I mean, I've lost my parents, which is tragic, but we've never lost in a war. And like, they didn't know where he was for five years, you know, yeah, yeah. that is, and then you, you and I were talking about it and you said, well, what about the guy that got buried as him? What did that family feel? And I thought, wow, I'd never thought about that. So I've got to still do that research and I've not done that yet. And thanks for the reminders. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, there's just so many threads there. Oh, it's oh, and, and you know, Hogan's hero was actually the the uh people who helped with developing that show. And for folks, for younger folks listening, Hogan's yeah. Heroes was a TV show. I remember it in the 70s, right? Yes. You know, yes. and, and so it was a hit television show. If you have no idea what we're talking about, go look it up. Go ahead, Val. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a prison story, but it's funny. They make everything funny. And, you know, there were a lot of things that they found funny in prison camp, although it was kind of black humor. But you'll find it in Hogan's Heroes. And that's why I think it's a really great show. And the movie The Great Escape is a, a fine movie. It's a lot. A lot of times you'll find it on History Channel. And that talks about a large group of people that I have interviewed, but there's also, you know, Hanks and those guys have the Pacific. They've got um, uh, Band of Brothers and they're now coming out with, uh, what's it called? Masters of the Air, which should be out on Apple TV anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Speaking of TV. <laughs> yes, yes. And we are, we are starting to run out of time here. We could talk for another half hour. I, I know. Um, and Peg's commenting about Hogan's heroes there. Um, but I do want to make sure that folks know how to follow up with you. And you, you were, I'm struggling because we're running short of time here. You were, uh, you were talking about the YouTube channel. And I think, I, I can't remember if it was going to be the first episode or if it's one of the episodes, but if you can tell about that, uh, the piggyback thing. Yes, please go with that. Yes, um, I'm starting a new, I'll be a host on a broadcast called Captivity Cultivators, or excuse me, Chronicles. And I, it's going to be the stories of World War II prisoners of war. And the first one's going to be the piggyback flight. You, I hope you can see that these two planes have come together and become one. And that's where the story sort of takes some really crazy turns and goes through the rest of this man's life. Hold that book up again there, Val. Okay. See, the planes have, one has collided with the other and come up into the plane on top. 
the propellers of the plane on top have gone through the wings of the plane below. The ball turret from the plane above has gone inside of that plane below. And I don't know if you saw, but you can see the two tails right here. That's come up in, in, in the wing right there, uh, or the tail, uh, whatever, uh, on that aircraft. And two men in the plane, the pilot and co-pilot in the upper plane, actually were able to turn the aircraft even though they had no engines and landed, well, crash landed, but they survived. The ball turret gunner, unfortunately, did not. And so there were a number of people that died. I think there were six on the lower plane and five on the upper plane that died. And it was because they were out over the ocean or over the North Sea and they don't know, it, some of them were shot, their shoots were shot apart and some of they, they're just not sure if they were shot and killed. They just don't know. And wow. so, you know, families never knew what happened to them. So that will be sometime in May. I think it's going to be before Memorial Day and it will be on E360 TV. It's, it's internet TV, but I have um, a YouTube channel, which is Val Burgess at Captivity Chronicles. And you can get every every one of those shows will show up on that YouTube channel as well. It's a 56-minute show, and I'm excited about it to tell their stories and and have a family member. Some of them I think I'm going to talk more than a family member, or if I can't get someone, I, I still feel that the stories are so valuable they need to be said. So oh yeah, yeah, or absolutely. Told. Now mm -hmm. I know you've got a, a website and we'll show it here real quick. Uh, Wars Voices, uh, and, and this will be changing, but right. this is a resource that is out there right now. Right. And these are POWs from a collection I have called Radio Tokyo Letters. And these people were all held by the Japanese. This, the man and the woman, the, the man who's sort of a funny photograph, um, Dr. S or General Seals. And it's... <laughs> this is the live show, folks. This is what yep. happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can read it. <laughs> yeah. It goes. Yeah, so I don't know. Is that yours mine. or mine? <laughs> I think it's mine. I'm sorry. That was mine. Uh, that's okay. And, and we do have a, an audio only audience. So we okay. want to make sure, that folks, uh, to find this. It's Wars voices dot it's, org it, it, it's it's a, a possessive not um plural warsvoices.org and then uh as you go looking for the youtube channel later captivity chronicles we'll also have links in the show notes and so we want to make sure that folks know in order to be able to find those show notes you can go to confidencecultivators.com and find past episodes show notes for this one uh, so we want to make sure folks can get to those resources. So I uh, didn't mean to cut you off there, Val, but since the no. phone did anyway. Yeah, uh, sorry. That's okay. Hey, you know, like I said, this is a live show. It's one of the one of the things that happens. I'm surprised my cat hasn't interrupted here. Um, we do want to make sure if folks want to get in touch with you, I'm going to put a QR code up here that will have your LinkedIn which I think right now, because you've got so many projects going on, this is probably the best way to get in touch with you yes. on LinkedIn. And if you're, again, if you're listening to this, uh, you are looking for Val Burgess, V-A-L-B-U-R-G-E-S-S. -S. 
Not all that many folks wear that name on LinkedIn, but you can usually tell that you've reached the right person. And again, we will have that link in our show notes, so you'll be able to follow that easily enough. So, uh, gosh, Val, I mean, we've talked so much in the past already. We could we could literally go for another hour or two here. But uh, just to, to respect your time and the audience, we got to wrap up soon here. I do want to ask, though, I always like to ask as a last sort of thing, uh, is there something that I didn't know enough to ask and that I should have? And what would your what would your uh, response be? Wow. Well, I always asked every one of the POWs, if you could tell young people today something, what would you say? And I had so many incredible answers that I can't pick one of them today. And I apologize for that. But if you could tell younger people today something, what would you tell them? If younger people could say something to older people, what would you tell them? Our voices are all important always important. And it's not in anger or anything like that, but it is in letting people know what we feel and why it's important to us. Because we hear differently when we understand your heart talking to us or us talking to you. So I think that's valuable information. Very good. Well, I so appreciate your time today. Um, we're going to have we're going to have to have you come back later on. I think we, we, we have uh, some guests that do come back for a part two. And I'm quite sure that's going to be the case with you, especially once you get the channel launched. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, once again, just a reminder to folks, the, what we're talking about here on the alignment show is how people brought their lives into alignment with their highest values. Uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with this. I don't often ask this, Val, but I think you are in a position after nearly 30 years to maybe be able to say you know, one of my highest values, for instance, is curiosity. OK, that just comes up uh, up there at the, the top connection. That's another value. So what would you say for you has been the the thing that matters most that has come to the top and you realize that's what's brought all of this into alignment for you. Well, I feel like I benefited more than anyone. I gained the most knowledge. I gained a way to be fearless even more so than I sort of already was, but truly gave me the, the oomph to do whatever I wanted to do and, and never looking back. And I'm still here and I continue to run a business for 30 years. And, but this was so important to me and my kids would say, well, why are you doing this? And I couldn't explain it enough where they understood the value of all of this. And they will someday. My daughter does now, but just, Oh, there's Jason. Hi, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, I really think it's just the value of these people, all of us, the value of all of us. And because we can be left behind and feel like we're not important. And I don't believe that's true. I think we all have a story to tell and we need to tell it. Indeed. Well, thank you for bringing that value to the world. So don't go away. We'll be back with you in just a minute. But as we uh, as we wrap up, and I, I do have to show this comment from Jason, uh, preserving the stories of these heroes. I know Jason 
Uh, he's a previous guest on this show and uh, has his own stories. He was in the Navy, and so uh, he um, he understands a lot of what's going on. As he says, he wishes he could do the same for his fallen brothers. And Jason, you can. Jason is quite a communicator himself. Quite yeah, great guy. Indeed, indeed. Uh, in any case, for those of you listening, I appreciate you being here with us on the Alignment Show. Our our tagline for this show is living your values and valuing your life. And I think Val hadn't thought about making that pun there, Val and value. And I just so appreciate what she's doing to preserve the stories, not only for these people that she is honoring by telling their stories, but for all of us by sharing their stories. It really does make a difference in, in the listeners and the readers. Uh, what, what we can do with our own values. Next week, we have uh, Carolyn Metz-Murray, who is going to be coming up. She has quite a backstory as well. She will be talking about how she confronted abuse and helps other people to confront uh, that challenging situation. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we, we talk with a lot of folks who have... Um, challenges, uh, how they meet those challenges, that in and of itself is a, a uh, an encouragement to all of us. So we're looking forward to that. In any case, as we wrap up this week's edition of The Alignment Show, remember to live your values and value your life. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness. And remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.